All right, let's take our Bibles and return back to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Lord willing, we're going to be completing these passages here, which really is a summation on how we are to have that worthy walk before Him, that walk that is in all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, this walk that every believing person is to be walking in. And I want to begin reading in Ephesians 4, verse 17 this afternoon, even though our text is going to be verses 23 and 24. The voice of the Lord says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We have seen that there is a way to learn Christ improperly, and there is a way to learn Christ properly. Any learning of Christ that leaves us or gives approval to our former manner of life is not the proper understanding of the gospel. The gospel is meant to deliver us from these things. To deliver us from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ Jesus from walking according to our sensuality or to our flesh or to our feelings or to the wills of the flesh, to walking in the renewed mind, walking in the light as He Himself is in the light. We are to be lights in this world. And of course Christ said in the Beatitudes, let your light so shine, so that men may see your, your good works, which have been wrought in you by God. Let men see your good works, so they will glorify God in that. We learned this morning <clears throat> that we are to lay aside the old self, or the old man. That we are to remove all remnants of our old life in Adam. 
And brethren, there is no area of our life that the Gospel does not touch. There seems to be a fashion today to say that God doesn't care about certain areas of your life or God is indifferent about certain areas of your life. And I can assure you that there is no area of your life that God is indifferent to. Every area of our lives, and you can name whatever you want to name, is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ and needs to be brought into conformity to His image in our lives. And God is good enough to do that. He loves us enough, as one writer said, He loves us enough that He wants to remove all impurity and filthiness of spirit inside of us. Or as Ephesians 5 says, that we may stand before Him without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing like that. But that we might stand before Him in blamelessness and holiness. Wouldn't it be a blessing, brethren, to hear Him say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful slave. Wouldn't that be a blessing for Him to say that to us in that day? Not that we've appropriated all that we need to appropriate, but that we have taken whatever measure of the gift of His Spirit in our life and that we have improved that to whatever degree and stand before Him in that conformity. When I stand before Him, I want Him to see a reflection of Himself in me and in my behavior and the things that I have given my life to. And we learned this morning that it is our responsibility to lay aside the old self's behavior. This is our responsibility. This is something God holds us to do. As I said before, going through the book of Corinthians, here's a church. Were they acting carnally? And the answer to that is yes. What was Paul's remedy? Two words. Stop it. (laughs) That was Paul's remedy. They have the responsibility now having Christ in them and that old self having been crucified with Christ, the lordship of sin and death has lost its dominion over us. Grace is now Lord in our hearts and our life. Now we have the power by the Holy Spirit to stop these things. Will it be easy? No. The answer to that is no. Why so? Well, even though the reign of sin has been broken, the presence of sin is still very much active. And it is active not as a Lord of our life, even though it will try to convince you that it is Lord of your life. But it is active where? In the members of my my body. In the members of my body. Sin's lordship over the totality of me has been broken. But the presence of sin in the members of my body 
is still present. And thanks be to God that one day when the Lord calls me to His side, that the death penalty from dust my body was created and to dust my body will go. That when my body's dust returns to that dust, the sin nature will be destroyed. And one day, at the sound of the voice of the risen Son of God, He will call that body that was sown corruptible. Did you hear that? Sown corruptible will be raised incorruptible. Glory, glory, glory. What a day that will be. And folks, that warfare that is going on inside of us, the warfare between our bodily appetites and our spiritual desires that are in warfare, that causes us to cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who's going to deliver me? From the body of this death. And you know what Paul says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful gospel this is. Now having laid aside our former manner of life, what is our next step? And the next step is given to us in Ephesians 4 and verse 23. And that is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, folks, and this is critical, we remove our former behavior and be renewed in the spirit of our what? of our mind, then He says, verse 24, and put on the new self. So all new behavior begins with a renewed mind. In other words, as one writer wrote, and I was reading this in a forward to a book that I'm considering using as a seedbed for our Lord's table Um, devotionals, he wrote this, that this particular man understood the dynamic of the gospel. And hear what he says here. Knowing leads to being. Being leads to doing. Does everybody hear that? In other words, knowing being renewed in the spirit of my mind, that transformation that goes on internally changes me, and we'll look at this, from glory to glory. That's the change inside of me. So that it leads to this new behavior. In other words, as one article I read when I was still as a master's student, 
I read an article that said being precedes doing. I must be somebody to do something. Now here's a danger when I say that. The danger when I say that is that your sinful nature says, well good, you don't have to do until you're transformed in your being. God doesn't say that. This is a continual process. You are continually being renewed and you are continually putting on the new self. They work hand in hand. Now remember, and we point this out before in verse 23, that as believers we are to walk in the renewing of our minds Whereas in chapter 4, verse 17, the Gentiles, our former manner of life, are walking in the futility of their mind. What's flowing out in their behavior is flowing out of a darkened understanding. What is to be flowing out of our behavior is a behavior flowing out of illumined understanding. The true knowledge of God. And so, what does the Scripture have to say to us about this? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And again, it's going to flow the same way. We are able to put off our former manner of life because... Something happened in us at the point of our regeneration. What happened at the point of our regeneration? The lordship of sin, my old self in Adam, died. Right? It died, so therefore now I'm to put off my former manner of life. Similarly, we are to be renewing our minds because something happened at regeneration. And Colossians helps us to see it more plainly, I think, than any other text. And I want to begin reading in Colossians 3, in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you laid aside the old self. Everybody see that? Present tense or past tense? Past tense. Don't lie to one another. Why? Because you laid aside the old self. What is the old self? Our old self in, in Adam. Since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices... Now look at verse 10. And have put on, that's past tense, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in who? In all. In the Colossians passage it says, stop doing this because something happened to you in the past. 
You put off the old man in Adam, and you have put on the new man in who? In Christ. That happened at the point of your regeneration. And that having happened, what is now occurring, verse 10, is that that new man, that new self in Christ, is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Everybody see that? There's something going on here in our lives that happened at the point of our regeneration. And that is, folks, the old man in Adam died and you are now clothed your new self in Christ. And what begins to happen at that point is that God begins to renew your mind after the true knowledge. The Gentiles are walking the futility of their mind, right? We're now being renewed according to the true knowledge after the image of Him. That is Christ. And the beautiful thing about this is that this process of renewal makes no ethical distinctions in its working. Did you see that in verse 11? This renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. So if you're a Greek and you get born again, are you being renewed according to the true knowledge? The answer to that is what? Yes. What if you're a Jew? Yes. What if you're a barbarian? No matter what your, your situation is, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free, there's no distinction in this working. Because Christ is all, and He's in how many? All believing people with no distinctions. And folks, just as an application here, Sometimes I hear this spoken and I just want to make an application here and then move on. But folks, a believing Jew has no possibility of greater knowledge than a Gentile. Did you hear that? In other words, a Jew can't say to you, well, I'm a Jew... So I'm in better position to understand the gospel than you. Or I'm being renewed more than you because you're a Gentile. There's no ethical distinctions. God is doing this work in every ethnicity who believe in Him. And what a gift that is. That as a Gentile person, I can come to the Scripture and know my Savior to the same degree as a Jew who's been raised a Jew. I have that genuine possibility because of that. This true knowledge is available to all in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is.
And Paul knew that. Paul just gave them the truth. And he expected that transformation to go on in those Gentile churches, did he not? He didn't say, now look, I'm a Jew and I'm always going to be superior to you. No. Christ is all and in all. There's one body. There's no distinction. That dividing wall has been tore down. So what I want us to see here is that when we get regenerated, there has been a putting off of our old self in Adam, and there has been a putting on, a renewal in true knowledge in Christ Jesus at the point of my regeneration. And folks, that shouldn't bother you. Because you can't get saved without a true knowledge of Christ. Right? In order for us to get saved, we have to have some measure of the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when that light of that glory, the glory of that knowledge, is illumined inside of you, and you believe that knowledge, that's the true knowledge. That's regeneration. That's life in Jesus Christ. Now having that happen, what do you think that we ought to be doing? Having that happened at the point of regeneration, we're to spend the rest of our pilgrimage on this earth renewing our mind to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love what Bunyan writes in Pilgrim's Progress. There's always more. There's always more. You never get to the place where you exhaust the knowledge of God. His knowledge is infinite. You can't exhaust your Bible. I've spent 40 years of ministry and there's still books I haven't gone through verse by verse. I could spend a Methuselah number of years and still be seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ in the pages of my Bible. What a blessing! What do we need to be doing? As Ephesians says, we are to be being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now folks, that takes us quickly to two passages that we here are very familiar with. And so let's just turn Romans chapter 12 because there's two passages that really give this to us in all of its detail and wonder and marvel. One of those is in Romans chapter 12, a passage that we're very much familiar with. What he says, coming out of those first 11 chapters, and he says, therefore, now he's moving from doctrine and explanation to application of what has just been given. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, if you're reading through the book of Romans, and you read all the way through chapter 11 with some measure of understanding, if God is working in you and you get to Romans 12 and verse 1, what you are overwhelmed with is God's mercy to you. And if that doesn't happen, you're missing the point. Paul says, Therefore, having come to that conclusion, I can now not command you, but I exhort you, I urge you, brethren, By who? The mercies of God. Those previous 11 chapters. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. And I made this statement before. But all true worship, all genuine worship begins with your presenting your body, your vessel, as a living sacrifice for God. doesn't begin with your music. You can't make proper musical choices until you present your body a living sacrifice. Otherwise, you're coming to the text and trying to understand something in the fertility of your mind. You're not laying yourself out for whatever God's will is. You have a will about it. And it will color how you look at the Scripture. So we present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of what? Worship. Worship. The word worship fundamentally means to bow the head. This is your service. This is what God's asking for us to do. It is our spiritual service of worship. All right. Now, what is part and parcel of that? What is this acceptable spiritual worship? Verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world. Everybody see that? Do not be conformed to this world. But, but what? Be transformed how by the renewing of your what your mind the folks god's position for his people toward the spirit of this age is for us to be transformed in the midst of it and for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now folks, when God wants to transform us, He does not bypass your mental faculties. Does everybody understand that? In other words, sometimes, and I've been there, sometimes you just rather have a holy zap. (laughs) Right? I mean, you just, you're trying to find some key to change something in your life and you want it to be fast. To go into the spiritual McDonald's and give me a kitty meal. And when I open that box, boom, I'm changed. I am super patient and super gentle and super kind and never get mad about the things I shouldn't get mad about. Our being transformed, which is what we want, right? Comes through your existing mental faculties. It goes through your mind. And folks, you you know this. You just don't want to acknowledge this. A sower goes forth to sow. What is he sowing? The Word of God. 
Some seed falls by the wayside. And the Scripture says, this is He who hears the Word but doesn't understand. Did you hear that? Doesn't understand. Where does that happen? Not in this organ. The organ is just there because it is the faculty of your inner man by which the seed goes into your heart. In other words, for it to bear fruit, we have to understand it. Does everybody see that? Now folks, we're, we're like the children of the wilderness. We're like, oh, we had a war to go get that land? Why, why doesn't God just hand it to me? We want God to hand us something. Instead of learning it, the way that God desires for us to be renewed. We are renewed in the spirit of our mind. That the pattern of our thinking, the motivations of our thoughts, the direction of our minds and of our lives need to be transformed. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are, we as believing people are never excused from doing that. You don't get to a place where you get to retire from this. This is all the way to the end. The renewing of our minds. Now how do we do that? <clears throat> how do we do that? I am to be renewing my mind. The result of that renewing of my mind is... Romans 12.2 is that now I would have the ability to prove, to put to the test what the will of God is. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How do we do that? Well, folks, that's the next passage that we have to look at, and that is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <coughs> This passage, more than any other passage, has driven my understanding on what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> he uses this veil, but he says in verse 18, but we all, does he include Paul? Yes. Does it include Peter? Does it include a Jew? Does it include Gentiles? Uncircumcised? Circumcised? We all, now that we're regenerated, we have an unveiled face, meaning our hearts have been circumcised. The covering that was over our hearts that caused the blindness and darkness, that has now been removed. I have an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. 
The word behold refers to you fixing your gaze on something. It's not a casual look. It's not just an acknowledgement that something's there. It's looking at something and locking your eye upon that something. Everybody following me? We behold, look at it again, as in a mirror. I won't take time to show this, but the mirror is the Scripture. It is the Word of God. The Word of God is the mirror in which and by which I see the Lord. Not visibly, but in the pages of my Bible. So my look is luck-gazed in this mirror, which is the what? The Word of God. And what am I looking at? What has so fixated my eye? The glory. Everybody see that? The glory. The glory of what? The Lord. The object of my look, the object of my gaze, the object of what I am beholding, is not the law. Did the law have a glory with it? Yes, 2 Corinthians 3 says that. But nothing in comparison to the glory of Christ. My eyes are not lock-gazed on the law, nor is my eye lock-gazed on me. James 1 talks about that. Where they look into the mirror of the Scripture and they see themselves. They see themselves. And then walk away forgetting what manner of man they were. I am looking in the text and the focus of what I'm looking for is the glory of Christ. Or I could put it this way. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they may not see something. Do you see that? That they may not see The light. The light of what? The gospel. The gospel of what? The glory. The glory of who? Christ. Does everybody see those words? It's very important that you see those words. The light, the light of the gospel... The gospel of the glory of Christ. 
That's what you're looking at in the pages of your Bible. And folks, when that happens, when you look into the mirror of the Scriptures and you behold the light of His glory, the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Look in chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the what? The knowledge. The knowledge of what? The glory of God. Where? In the face of who? Christ. Everybody see that? This is what we're looking at. This is what we are so enamored about. This is what we're looking for in the pages of our Bible. And folks, when we do that, we certainly are going to hear the commands of Christ. When we do that, we certainly are going to behold the exhortations of Christ. But there is something here that when I see this, the love of Him is drawn out of me. And there is a joy. There is a delight. Dare I say there is a thrill. To be, to see with the eyes of my understanding. Illumined. To behold Him. Him who He is, His works, His ways, His glory. Something is there. And folks, when that happens, you're changed. It may be imperceptible. It doesn't mean that you have to sit there and have tears of joy every time you open your Bible. But there's something going on inside of you, and He says this happens by the Spirit of the Lord. Folks, do you understand that the Holy Spirit and the Scripture are tied together? And there can be no transformation without you looking in your Bible. And there can be no renewing of your mind unless the light of that knowledge is illumined to your understanding. This is where the renewing of our mind is. And as we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, what we see here is this, that putting on this new self, verse 24, what we are beholding in the pages of our Bible, that is the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, what what this is, is in the likeness of God. Folks, let me just ask you this. Is Christ Jesus in the likeness of God? He is the express image of His person. Doesn't the Bible say that? And when you behold this, and the Lord illumines this to you, 
There is a change inside of you. And it is a change from glory to glory, from image to fuller image of Christ in you. And that inner transformation, do you think that would have any impact on your behavior? It does. One commentator wrote, Just as Adam was created in the likeness of God, so the new creation is likewise in conformity with God. This is the second Adam. This new creation. And folks, this new creation has been created in us. Look at verse 24. In righteousness. It was right for God to do this. He created us in righteousness. There's no injustice in God doing this in our lives. Don't draw back from this, believer. As if somehow you're too unworthy. We're all unworthy. Nobody can stand before God and say, I'm worthy. Nobody. But it's fitting for God to do this. It brings Him glory when He does this. And it is created, past tense, you're not creating it, it has been created in you. Created in righteousness and holiness of the what? Of the truth. Folks, we're not creating it, we're outworking it. We're not creating it, we're being transformed by it. From one glory to another, from one sharpness of image to another sharpness of His image, we are to be outworking our conformity into the image of the Son of God. And that is exactly what Romans 8 tells us. That He would be the firstborn among many just like Him. And that transformation has to occur inside of us. This is the power of God working in you. This is the work of His Son in you. This brings God glory in the church when we do this to be the renewing of our minds. Now I've got a lot more I'd like to say on it. But I want to conclude by looking at two passages of Scripture. I want us first of all to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Folks, the Scripture says that we're to love God with all our might. you agree with that? But we're to love God with all our mind. Did you hear that? Your mind is not exempt. Regardless of whether you think the faculty of your understanding is sharp or poor, 
whether your education is great or small. God's not limited, in a sense, by your education. But your drive to see Him in the Scripture, to understand Him in His ways, to love Him with all your heart, is a drive that pleases the Lord. And Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Do you hear that statement? Do you want grace today? It's through the true knowledge of God. Do you want peace in your inner man? Through the true knowledge of God. That's how it comes. And it says in verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through what? The true Knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. How does His divine power gift us these things? Through the knowledge of Him. Folks, it's His knowledge that is the true riches. Everybody, can you see that? The gift of God communicating to you, sharing with you, teaching you about Himself. There's no greater riches than that. There's no greater knowledge than that. And folks, when I'm talking about knowledge... I'm talking about a particular type of knowledge. And I want us to turn to the book of John, chapter 17, and we'll conclude here. <clears throat> John, chapter 17. <clears throat> now, please follow me with this. I'm not talking about a mere academic type of knowledge of God. I'm talking about this kind of knowledge. I count everything as dung for the excellency of the knowledge. Everybody hear that? Of Christ Jesus my Lord. All I want to do is to know Him. Everybody hear that? Hear my emphasis. To know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. All I want to do is to know Him. Folks, the knowledge that I'm talking about that is so transformative is a relational knowledge. 
It's a relational knowledge. It's not a knowledge like you're going to pass a test. Right? And we could word it this way. I, I could read a biography about George Washington. Could you? Sure. I could study that biography and a teacher could give me a test on it. I'd probably fail. But in any case, I might get some of the questions right. But I don't know him. I don't know George Washington. I have no relational knowledge of George Washington. Do you see what I'm saying? I can go to my Bible. I can play Bible trivia. I could win. I could pass Bible quizzes. I could go through all of Bible school. I could get a PhD in Bible and have all kinds of knowledge. And I could argue for all kinds of doctrine and not be transformed because it's not relational. And this is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 17. When He prays in verse 3, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you. Do you hear that? This is eternal life. It's not heaven. This is eternal life. That we might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The knowledge that he's talking about here is a living knowledge. Do you see that? If eternal life is to know him, then the knowledge has to be a living knowledge, yes? God lives, does he not? Everything about God is life, his knowledge is living. Everything about Him. No death in Him at all. No darkness in Him at all. And if eternal life is to know Him and His Son, then it's not merely academic. It's not me learning about Him. It is living knowledge. It is relational knowledge. I knew some things about my wife before we got married. But I didn't really come to know my wife till after we were married. And we had to live in the same house. Or as Jonathan Edwards would say, <clears throat> you could read a scientific book about roses. But until you took a rose and you looked at it, and you smelled it, then you begin the knowledge that you would gain by a book <clears throat> begins to be alive. And folks, <clears throat> sad to say, there are many believers, professing believers, who know about Him, 
But it's not a relational knowledge. It's not Christ in me and me in Him. That's relational. That's union. That's one. And when I open my Bible, I'm opening my Bible not because this is what you do. You might have to do that every now and then because we have a sinful flesh, but you're opening your Bible because He is in the pages of this book. Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they that speak of Him. Christ. And then He says, but you will not come to Me. Do you hear the the relational call? You will not come to Me so that you might have life. Folks, a blind man can hear a lot of descriptions about God. But when he can see, it all takes on new meaning. It takes on life. Or as Job, I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear. But now I behold you and I repent in dust and ashes. Right? And folks, it begins by us. We come in here and we see the glory and we see, we see these wonderful doctrines and we know our God. And then our God is gracious enough to say, all right, you've heard about me with the ear and you've had your eyes of understanding open and I've done this work inside of you. Now live it out. One to another by the Spirit of God. This is what it's all about. And folks, you know how to do that quickly. You gain that by reading your Bible. Can you gain any of that by just reading your Bible? Some of you are reading the Bible through 40 days. You, did you not get illumined to anything in your Bible? You say, well, it wasn't much. It was just, you know, 146 billion of gold for the temple. How does that change you? Because it shows me the glory of God. It shows me His majesty. It shows me His supply. And I can assure you that if the Lord gives us a building program one day, it will cost less than that. (laughs) You get it by reading. It can be imperceptible what God is doing in your heart and life. You can get it through study. That's the labor. And folks, the study and the labor part shows God you love Him and you desire Him because you want to know Him in whatever area you're studying. And then it comes, lastly, and you know this by meditation. 
You and I are to be thinking God's thoughts day and night. 24-7. We're to be evaluating everything by the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in His face. We're to be walking in that light as He is in the light. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. We're to be communicating that one to another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart toward Him. This is the fragrance. The sweet savor that we offer to Him in the midst of our death. This mortal body and it brings Him great glory. Now brethren, I desire with all my heart that you work at this. And it's going to take work. Everything in your sinful nature is going to say, no, you're not. And you're going to have to say, by the grace of God, I will. You're going to have to open your Bible. You're going to have to ask for understanding. You're going to have to work through hard puzzles that you can't really wrap your mind around. (laughs) Not so that you can pass a test. So that you may know Him. And when that living knowledge goes in, you'll be changed from glory to glory. And I think it's important for me to say that these spectacular times that you may have where this glory just so overwhelms you is rare. I can think of maybe three times, maybe four, where it was so overwhelming that the tears of joy flowed out of my eyes. I was so overwhelmed with His goodness that He shows to me a sinful creature. Those aren't everyday times. But it's the little light and little light, little understanding. And then as you grow... He brings those lights together and there's a bigger blaze and a bigger blaze and a bigger blaze until we stand before Him and He removes the body of this death and He says, Behold, look at what I did in your life. And you're going to fall down on your knees and give glory to Him. Let's pray.